One of the things I've observed is that we people, we love stories of all kinds, but we are particularly drawn to stories of rescue from peril. So last year in the middle of COVID, Disney brought out their live action version of the movie Mulan. And the description of the, of the movie is this, the young Chinese maiden disguises herself as a warrior to save her father. It's basically a rescue story. Beginning in 2011, the Marvel Comics people brought out the Marvel Cinematic Universe, right? And in that, they released 23 movies over eight years, all with one storyline of how these superheroes uh, could save the world from destruction by Thanos. We love rescue stories. Not as in the movies, like, but we, we like to hear how a person in trouble is rescued. So you hear about somebody who's lost in the wilderness, and they went and found them. Or, or this dude who went into Lowe's, and he came out and found his car covered by, uh, by 40,000 bees in a swarm. And then they called a beekeeper to come and get all those out. Look, they don't even have to be human beings. We'll, we'll, make, we'll make dogs rescuing dog videos go viral. <laughs> we love stories of rescue. Where did this insatiable hunger for rescue stories come from? Well, every culture has a defining story that answers four questions. You've heard us say this before, where we come from, what's gone wrong with the world, who or what can fix it, and where is all this headed? And we can answer those questions from religion and philosophy and from politics or economics or education or tradition. Uh, but the beating heart at the core of life or across the board seems to be this search for something or someone to set everything right, there to be a salvation. So in that respect, Christianity is not unique. Uh, every world religion has a salvation story, but it is the way that, that the Bible answers the, the question of salvation is unlike any other answer to those four big questions of life. Salvation is the beating heart of the story of God we've seen in the scriptures. The big story of God, the Bible telling this one story in four chapters, creation as a God who created everything. There was fall where human beings rebelled against God, but then God of mercy came to rescue and then promises he's going to restore one day and put everything back the way he intended at the very beginning. Right at the heart of everything is this rescue, this salvation. Now, I'm not sure what comes to mind when you think of salvation. If you grew up in church, you might think of, I, I prayed a prayer with someone, or I prayed with my parents, or maybe it was, uh, it was you walked an aisle and told somebody, or you, it was Thursday night at youth camp, or, or your baptism. Maybe that's what comes to mind. Maybe if you're not kind of a church person, Maybe for you, when you hear salvation, you think of like hellfire and brimstone preaching or an uncomfortable conversation. And really all of those, if we just take them by themselves, can, can hollow out the full meaning of salvation. But to be a Christian, to know what it means to live as a Christian, to live the thriving life that Jesus intends, what we've been talking about in this year, requires that we have a clear vision and a good grasp on the truth of salvation. So in this series, Thriving with Truth, we're walking through the big articles in Living Hope's Articles of Faith. There's one message for each of the eight, and today we come to uh, salvation. But remember, we're not just uh, uh, defining these to define words and give us theological language. 
Here's what we've said is that doctrine is not just meant to be known. It is meant to be lived. Church, you've got to know that what you believe, what I believe to be true about salvation will become the beating heart of how we relate to God and it will also define the way we live now and forever. In other words, this matters a lot. So in our articles of faith, here's how the opening paragraph describes uh, salvation. We believe that salvation is the free gift of God whereby God, by grace, regenerates, justifies, sanctifies, and glorifies an individual through his or her faith in Jesus Christ. And there are four descriptions, four of the little sentences that describe there what each of those things mean. We regenerated, justified, sanctified, glorified. And then the last part comes back again and says, we believe there is no salvation apart from personal faith in Jesus Christ. And there's so much packed in those words. It's all fed from scriptures. But there's, there's no passage, I don't think, that more relentlessly focuses on God's unique way of salvation than, than the first two chapters of the book of Ephesians. So if you have your copy of God's Word, would you turn there to Ephesians chapter 1 and chapter 2. Rourke Bickford is going to come and he is going to... Uh, read for us just a couple of verses that will uh, begin to pull all this together for us. So if you would stand in honor of the reading of God's Word, and we're going to look in Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to look at verses 4 and 5. So work if you'd read for us, Ephesians 2 verses 4 and 5. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Rourke. I appreciate it. Thank you. You may be seated. So what that verse does, it really kind of summarizes something that Paul's been saying across those first two chapters about the truth of salvation. The first thing to recognize is this, that the truth is that salvation is desperately needed by all. Last week we looked at the doctrine of humanity and we saw that every human being is created imago Dei in the image of God, which means that everyone is, is an object of dignity, worthy of respect and honor, created with purpose to relate to God, to display and to show God's glory. That's what it means to be a human being. But underneath that, there's another aspect of human nature that's described for us there also in Ephesians 2, beginning in verse 1. Listen to what it says there. It says, And you were dead in trespasses and sins, and once you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and in the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. So he's describing this other aspect created in the image of God, yet separated from God, away from God by our sin and our rebellion. Now that started in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve disobeyed God's command. They chose to reject God's ways and they said, I want to put myself on the throne. I want to be in charge of my life the way I want to live my life. And that choice has continued throughout all human history. 
Every human being that has ever lived has made this choice in one way or another. The same choice to follow the desires of our heart. I want to be in charge. I want to do what I want to do. Now, what we call that is we call that sin. Now, usually when we talk about sin, we think about sin in terms of, oh, that's breaking God's rules. Or that's, uh, that's uh, messing up where, where God is desired. But in reality, sin is mostly about breaking our relationship with our creator who made us and the king over every single thing. We don't want him. So when it says in Romans uh, 3 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, it's saying this is universally true. It's true of everybody. It's true of parents and children. They sin. People of all ethnicities, all uh, educational levels, all kinds of socioeconomic lifestyles, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, which means that nobody's ever lived the way they were designed to live by God. Because of our sin, we are guilty of rebelling against the ultimate king. And some of us rebel with religion and self-righteousness. We like we can do it better. What we do is enough to get us right with God. Others rebel by, by immorality, just, just breaking all the rules. And like, I don't really care what God wants. In both cases, trying to do things on our own, follow our own desires. And what that leads to is the ultimate punishment, which is forfeiting of life. It's death. Forfeiting of life now, yes, but also eternally being separated from God. Now, now on our own, there's no way out of that death penalty. Everyone has sinned. Everyone is guilty. Everyone has fallen short of what God intends. And there's a punishment that comes and there's no way out. We, we really try hard. But you got to think about, I think about my best day. If on my best day, I mean, I, my eyes open and I begin praying. I flip over my feet on the ground and reach and grab my Bible, begin to read God's word and to pray. And I get up in the day and I go to work. I do an honest day's work and, and I, I, I'm sacrificially serve others and I control my, my tongue and I give money to the poor to care for people. I blow kisses to people at 445 in the afternoon on Scottsville Road. I mean, it's a good day. I've done really well. I'm tender to daffodils and kittens. I mean, I've done the whole thing. The best thing I do. And when I get home at night and I stop and it gets quiet, what I know is that in my heart, behind the scenes of all that, there still lurks lust and discontent and control and pride. And I say, okay, I'll do better tomorrow. I'll do better tomorrow. And then I realize I've got to do better and perfect every day of my life as long as I live. That's impossible. None of us can do that. You and I desperately need salvation. We cannot do it on our own or produce it. But what work read earlier from Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4 says, but God, but God who is rich in mercy, made you alive together with Christ. That's where regeneration comes in, life again. But God, you got to understand, if there's no but God moment in your story, there's no salvation. But God has moved. So the second thing we know is the truth is salvation is just when needed by all, but it's graciously provided by God. If you look back in chapter 1, 
of Ephesians, uh, you will find there in reading in verse 3, this one really long paragraph uh, that Paul writes, really one long sentence that describes how the one we praised earlier, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit works three in one, the three in one God works to bring us to salvation. So notice the first reality beginning there in Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. And later on, talks about his purpose, who works all things according to the counsel of his will and the plans that he has. So the first thing you've got to understand is that salvation is, is planned by God the Father. It is his idea from the very beginning. And he says, we're blessed in the heavenly places. Our salvation comes from someplace external to us. We can't do it. It's not available on earth. It's external to us from God outside of us. Matter of fact, it happened before we were able to perform anything or do anything. He says, before the foundation of the world, before anything was created, God had already determined what salvation was going to look like. It involves his intentional action over and over. You get these, these, these concepts, this idea of God choosing his, his, his predestination where he's marking things out, the, the purpose of his will, his plans. All of that's looking at is saying that God takes the initiative to save sinners and he has a goal. The goal is to transform an individual life. What does he want to do? He wants to make us holy and blameless. Take away the sin that's keeping us from God. And he intends to, to adopt rebel runaway sinners as his very own family. That's what God plans to do. I'm going to take away your sin. I'm going to make you holy. And then I'm going to make you my sons and my daughters. Salvation planned by God the Father. But then this salvation is accomplished by God the Son. Look in verse, uh, the end of verse uh, 6 says that he's done this in the beloved. And verse 7 says, in him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purposes, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. How's God going to do that? That taking care of our sin, adopting us, he's going to do it through and in the work of Jesus Christ. It happens in Christ alone. The blessing he brings is in the beloved. What he, what he does is Christ comes and he, he, he is God in the flesh, the God-man, and he lives and he dies and he rose again. And all that is in Christ. So when Jesus later says this, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is an exclusive path 
to restore this relationship with God and it comes through Christ alone and who he is. How's it going to do that? Well, it says he's going to bring redemption by his blood. Remember, we're guilty and we're held captive under a death penalty. And the only way to be set free from the death penalty is someone else steps in to take the death penalty in our place. That's an aspect of what we call justification, which changes our legal standing before God, who is the judge. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ did. Jesus Christ went to the cross in my place, in your place, in the place of sinners, uh, he, he, he was tortured for me and for you. He took the nails for me and for you. He was pierced for us. He died for sinners and rose again. When, when Isaiah the prophet talked about this years before, he said this, we all went astray like sheep. We have turned to our own way and the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. He was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. The punishment for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. The only way we can be healed of the sickness of our sin, the only way we can have our sin taken away, is if somebody else pays the price, and that's exactly what Jesus Christ did for us. And it says there, he lavished his grace on us. Would you understand? We're talking about salvation. We're not talking about Jesus putting a little drop of religious perfume on the top of our stink. That's not what this is. No, he is changing us. He's making us new. He's forgiving us of our sins. So he wipes our record clean. And at the same time, he gives us his own perfect record because he never sinned. So that's how we're seen by God. He lavished grace on us over and over. So this salvation, planned by the Father, accomplished by the Son, is then applied to us by the Holy Spirit. Remember, God is three in one, the one in three. And so, so what, what he does is the Holy Spirit is already working. He's been wooing us to Christ. He's the one who convicts us of sin. He's the one who makes us alive. But then down in verse 13 and 14, you see this. It says, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. He says, when we have trusted Christ, we have then been sealed. The idea of the king's signet ring is placed in, in wax to, to signify action by some royal authority. So saved people have security. Salvation means uh, that we are, are held firm and safe in his grasp and never again will the punishment of the wrath of God have any threat for us whatsoever. It means we're secure in him, that nothing in the universe, no person, no circumstance, no illness, no hurt, no pain, no failure, not even hell and all us demons can ever separate us from the love of our God. He holds us strong and fast, and he'll see us through all the way to heaven. But not only that, there's a guarantee of all of this. He says it's a down payment 
in you when you have the Holy Spirit that comes in you at the point of trusting Christ. It's a down payment, a promise that everything God intends to do and save people is actually going to happen in you. Now, you've got to understand salvation is not just about, oh, what I did one time before, take care of my past and to secure my future right? It's not like you got your vaccination and you got your vaccination card and you take your vaccination card and you put it in a lockbox and you're going to keep it there until someday when you die you need to put the vaccination card with your passport to let you into heaven. That's not the way this works. That's gloriously true that he has taken care of our past and secured our future but the reality is salvation is also for right now. There's the life of Christ flowing in us right now. So he promises he's going to make you and me like Jesus. Philippians 1 says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work and you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. What we call sanctification. Making us more and more like Jesus. But then even beyond that, he's going to bring you more of Jesus' life into the places you most desperately need it. He will bring freedom uh, from bondage to whatever you're addicted to for happiness or satisfaction, whatever that is. He'll bring grace for your guilt and shame for all the stuff that you did before. He'll bring strength for your weakness and guidance in your confusion. He'll help you understand the scriptures. He'll understand what God wants you to do and how to live. He'll, He'll bring courage so you can be faithful and peace beyond understanding and hope in the dark. And all of that points to eternal life in his presence forever where there's there's no more presence or power of sin what we call glorification right this is our inheritance from our king yes there's things that happen later but there's also things that happen right now and we receive this from him this is what sons and daughters are promised salvation is all of god from start to finish. It's this with this ferocious love that he acts to come and to rescue rebel sinners and put us back in relationship with him and give us his life. Do you see why we call it the good news? It's good news because of what he's done and what he's provided for us. Well, great. How can a person get that? Well, the truth is, about salvation that is to be personally received by each person. Personally received by each one. Over in Ephesians chapter 2, again, chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. Let's understand. Salvation is not by doing It's not do more, do better, be more, be more sincere, be more forgiving, be more helpful, be more patient, be more loving, do more religious stuff, pray more, read your Bible more, memorize some scripture more, do some more things, serve more, give more. None of those things save us. Salvation is not a transaction where we say, here, look what I've got so I can add up more good in my account than bad and I can pay it off and God will let me in because you and I, we can't save us. Simple people can't do holy stuff, not the way it works. But here's the good news. Salvation doesn't depend on your performance at all. 
It's a grace gift from God. Again, the Bible says in Romans, it says the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And we know about gifts, don't we? Gifts are not earned. Gifts are received. How do you receive a gift? You stop, open your arms, somebody gives you the gift. You stop, open your hands, somebody gives you the gift. How do sinners receive the gift of salvation from God? We stop, we open our hands, we receive it by repentance and faith. Repentance. This means you admit the truth about you. Yep, I'm a sinner. I'm a rebel. I wanted to control things on my own. And I'm, I'm bankrupt of anything else that can do anything with this. And as I'm going this way, I'm going to turn around from trying to depend on me. I'm going to change my mind about this direction. I'm going to turn around and I'm going to turn toward Christ. We'll look toward him. I'm going to believe or trust in him that, that he is the only hope of my salvation is, is God's way through Jesus. By grace through faith. By faith in the grace that he has provided. It means you trust that Jesus' death on the cross was necessary for you and enough to forgive you your sins. It means you trust that Jesus' resurrection was strong enough to take away the death in you and give you his life to satisfy every hunger, to heal every wound, to break every chain. To receive it, we turn and we trust. And here's the promise. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved so I was going to ask you this morning have, have you have you received this gift you see there's a response required you can't be neutral on this and here's what I know been praying for this all week today is salvation day for some of you you sense the wooing of the Holy Spirit and you've delayed aren't you tired of trying to be good enough Aren't you tired trying to pump up your record so God will like you? Would you just stop, open your hands, turn and trust him to be your savior? Some of you are just coming to that realization right now. You know you need him. Can I tell you, that's enough. You don't need months or years to get your act together. Can I remind you, salvation is for people who are a mess and know it who don't have their act together. You come to him, you turn, and you trust. You run to Christ. And we've been praying for this all week. So I want to ask you just right now where you are, just stop, just bow your heads, close your eyes. And if that's you this morning, would you tell him? Would you call in the name of the Lord? You don't need special words, not magic words or a magic formula. Just tell him. Confess. Repent. Turn. But you want to trust Christ. So I'll give you just a minute to do that. Now, Lord, what we know is that holy and miraculous transformation can happen in an instant. 
when your power is at work. So we pray you've done that in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, now what if before that last moment, you had already trusted Christ? What's that mean for you to remind yourself of what God's done? Yes, but the truth of this salvation also is that it is to be freely shared by disciples. You see, salvation makes us new people from the inside out. We have the life of King Jesus flowing in us if we've trusted him. And that creates a new life and new passions, new priorities, a new, new thing. We're going to live out his agenda with our head and our heart. We're going to have that define us. So in Ephesians 2, 8 to 10, when it says, we've been created in Christ Jesus for good works, for good works. Now, now remember, these good works are coming out of our new life, not, not to get it. We're not trying to get it. We've already seen that. That's not what that is. But because we are now new, we're living with a different king, a different priority. So later on, Corinthians says this, the love of Christ controls us. He died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. We are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. If you've trusted Christ already and that's your story of what God has done to save you and to work that, then King Jesus has saved you. He's, he's changing us, empowering us, and he sends us out with a message from heaven to answer the biggest question in every heart. What's gone wrong? Who can fix it? And we say, it's Jesus can fix it. Through Jesus, you can be saved we said the good works there. Yes, we use our gifts to serve in the church, in our home, and in the world, and, and those things, yes. But the best good work in all those things is to spread the good news of Jesus. His forgiveness, his, his freedom, his healing, his hope. We, we can't keep this to ourselves. We wouldn't do that if we had found the cure for leukemia or the cure for COVID or the cure for migraines or the cure for poverty. We'd tell somebody about that kind of thing. You gotta understand, most of the people we encounter every day in Bowling Green, we figure around 100,000 people in Bowling Green and the immediate surrounding areas don't know about this good news. Only might tell you they know about Jesus. But they don't know this good news and they're lost and they're dead and they're without God and they're without hope for eternity. And we're sent, we're the ones sent to plead with them. Come to God to plead. We're, it's through our vocal cords that the very voice of God comes to the world. And what it says is, if you're, if you're, if you're lost, you've been found. If you're dead, you can come alive. If you're wandering, you can come home. If you're a captive, you can be set free. That's our privilege as his people. It's the only, remember we said, the only way to thrive is to obey God's commands. Jesus' command is go and make disciples. So this is a key to what we call the disciples' life. Just as Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. We said there's these five impulses to gather for worship, to connect in community, to serve the church and the world, to equip ourselves for growth, and to make more disciples. And only as more and more of us do that will we as a church live out our mission. 
And that is to impact our homes, our neighbors, every generation with the hope of Jesus. That only happens as we freely, consistently, faithfully share the gospel. And then as we, as we do that, as we're able to do that, we discover that all those who come to join Christ with us will enjoy the truth, this final salvation, the truth, this final truth, that this salvation is to be fully enjoyed forever. Fully enjoyed forever. See, God has a goal in the saving of sinners. His goal is to be glorified, to be worshiped as a worthy king, to be delighted in as the most precious treasure in all the universe and to be delighted in the eternal praises of his redeemed people. And we've already read that in chapter one. There's this repeated phrase you heard over and over again. It's like a refrain to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory, to the praise of the glory of his grace. And this makes sense, doesn't it? That if there's clouds that, if our sin clouds God's glory, right? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Their salvation comes, it blows away the clouds so that God's glory is fully seen in and through us. This is the ultimate goal of salvation. The ultimate goal of history is not to make much of me, not to make much of us, but to make much of him. The prophet said this. He said, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. <laughs> we start making his glory known now. How? It starts right now. Because you've trusted Christ, eternal life's already started with you. You're already in it. That's what we do on Sunday mornings. We delight to delight in, in Him and to declare His praise. But we live our lives for His glory in every single moment. Whatever we do, we find a way to point to Him. There's going to come a day where you take your last breath and you stand in the presence of your Holy Savior and your King. And you're going to see his face. You're going to see the nail scars in his hand. You're going to sense his power and his love. And you're going to see him smile. He's going to open his heart and say, welcome home, child. And in that moment, what will you do? What will you do? How will you respond? We can't even begin to fathom what that moment will be like. What we do know is that at some point we'll join with all the redeemed of all the ages and we'll feast with our king. And as we feast, we're going to tell stories. We're going to tell salvation stories. We're going to sing about, about what we know of our salvation. We're going to tell what we know about our salvation, a few of the people that we know. And then we're going to hear stories of salvation stories from across the United States, oh, from places like, oh, let's think, Fargo and Atlanta and Pigeon Forge and New York and Chicago. We're going to hear salvation stories from across the globe, from places like Greece and, and Niger and Morocco and Thailand and Portugal and France and Scotland and China and India and Costa Rica. We're going to hear about salvation in places we've never even seen and don't know, all telling of the glories of the God who saved. We've got a whole eternity fill up. What are we going to do? Look in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7. Let's read this together out loud. Can we read this together? God raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. The immeasurable riches of his grace. There are aspects of our salvation that we've never seen. Not the moment when we move from death to life. That's glorious. 
But there are choices that one saved person makes that leads to certain kinds of relationships and investments and sacrifice and consequences in lives on other continents and other centuries. And what flowed from one salvation flowed into another person that changed this life and impacted these destinies. And we'll do one life and then we'll say, okay, next. And we'll, we'll talk about the next one. Every one a cause for more glory and praise to our King. And for the coming ages, we're going to delight in and echo back praise for what our King Jesus has done to save in this age on earth, all to the glory of his name. And when we think we're done, <laughs> we think we're done, we're going to realize that our experience of the new heavens and the earth, new earth, you know, no more tears and no more pain and no more death and, and all those things, that's all from our salvation too. And we'll declare that and the feast and the stories will never end for a thousand, thousand, and thousand millennia. Our voices will never wear out from singing and shouting praise to our King. Our arms will never get tired from being raised in praise for our King. Our hands will never get tired of applauding His victory because we will never ever run out of stories of salvation to tell. And that's why we love to tell rescue stories. Because rescue stories are just a hint of the really big reality behind every second of life on earth and points to what God's doing ultimately forever. Can I just ask you, are you saved God's way? If you trusted Christ, I have a couple of our elders. I'm going to ask they're going to come and stand here across the front. Guys, you can go ahead and come. Whoever you are is going to do that. And we're going to ask this morning, if you prayed that prayer a moment ago, when we finish in a second, would you come and just tell one of these guys we want to just rejoice with you over what God has done. We just come and just tell them, I prayed that prayer. I prayed and turned and trusted Christ today. Would you come and tell them so we could rejoice and delight with you? We'd love for you to do that in a moment. Others of you just ask you, who do you need to tell about God's gift of salvation? Why wait? Tell them today. And let me ask you, if you already, before you came in today, you were one of his... Do, do, do you live like this salvation is the beating heart of your story? How does it show? Can we just commit today before the Lord to let people hear in our voice and see in our face and get splashed by the overflow of our joy and the fact of our Savior because there's no truth that is better, friends. Jesus saves he saves. It's not just something we affirm. This is our life. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, there's so much of you, so much to declare. And so today we delight ourselves in the God who saves. And we pray, Lord, and thank you for those who today may have stepped across that line and trusted Christ. And then, Lord, we, we pray for those of us who already have that you would help us to live like it, like we're saved people. Because it's the glory of our life to be known and loved by you. So help us, we pray. Lord, we're grateful. 
that you are a saving God. We pray you continue to do that work in us and through us. We pray all this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.